And I was thinking about what I might say to introduce John. Um, I, I think it is safe to say that my path and John's path would never have crossed in this world except for this fellowship. And he, had, he came on the literature committee shortly after I did <clears throat> as the alternate from uh, Southeast. And then he became the delegate from Southeast. So he may, he's going to be in the running for the longest continuous service on the literature committee of anybody uh, presently alive. But uh, we have become close friends because of this program. And, you know, I can, cannot tell you how much I appreciate his experience, strength, and hope, his wisdom in terms of what needs to be in our literature. You know, some of our older literature, even though it's conference approved, it's kind of shaky in terms of program content. And that's not surprising. The, the fellowship was very young and, and struggling to get stuff out in a hurry. But, but we're maturing as a fellowship. And John has really been the standard bearer for making sure that our message, the message that recovery comes from working the 12 steps, that it's a spiritual program, that that message is inherent in absolutely everything we produce at the, at the ISO. So it is really a great, great privilege for me to introduce John R. from Miami, who is our speaker for this evening. John. Thank you, Jim. We are people who normally would not mix, says the book. Uh, can you hear me okay? Yes. Okay, I'm going to have a seat for probably most of this because I'm an old man. So um, <laughs> bear with me. And uh, whew, take a deep breath. Shake it out. <laughs> and uh, let's have some fun. Let's have some laughs. Let's talk about recovery. Let's talk about addiction. Let's talk about our message of SAA. And... Um, First, let me say some thank yous to the uh, higher power who got me here in one piece, to the program committee who um, asked me to speak, and I want to thank all of you for the gift that you gave me. I um, operate similar to what Tracy described, uh, but in a little different take on it. I hope to be a channel for a message of recovery. And the way that that happens to me is that I have quiet times frequently during the day. And I particularly like when I'm asking a little bit in advance uh, to share at a meeting. And what that allows me to do is to reflect, to contemplate, to consider what is the most important things for this topic or this meeting, what is the most important things in my recovery that I could share. Um, a longtime friend in another fellowship uh, said one time, we come to meetings to meditate upon sobriety. We reflect, we consider, we contemplate, we roll over in our minds the aspects of sobriety that people are talking about. So um, I hope that perhaps you'll be able to do that with me tonight, to meditate upon your sobriety. Um, I hope that uh, a few questions that you can consider. Um, Boy, did I have a lot of different texts and um, quotations I wanted to start with and base on. We'll see what comes out. So I have a few notes here. <laughs> but um, uh, one, of the, one of the texts was um, my first 12 uh, fellowship was Al-Anon. Uh, allowed me to get sober in another fellowship. And um, in Al-Anon, they say in the opening, what do you think life is for? In Al-Anon, we believe life is for growth physical, mental, and spiritual. And I've experienced growth, and I invite you to consider how you've experienced growth in your recovery. Some of my experiences may be the same as yours, some may be different. There's a poster that one um, speaker quoted from Emerson, uh, to change is to grow. To have changed much is to have grown much. So I've had a lot of changes in my 
recovery. And I, I, I guess, according to that quote, it means that I've grown. Um, I also am a um, kind of student of psychology. Um, one of my favorite pages in the books uh, is where Dr. Jung is quoted as being instrumental in the founding of the original 12-step fellowship. And um, there's, it seems to have followed kind of the um, progress of psychology itself. The first, uh, the first um, school was uh, the will to pleasure. The next school of psychology was the will to, to power, to control. And the next was Dr. Jung with the will to become individual, to individualize. And the next was the will to meaning. And there's a book called Man's Search for Meaning that resonated with me. So I always wanted meaning in my life. I wanted passion. I wanted something to follow. And you know what? Sex behavior gave me a lot of meaning in my life. Um, it gave me direction. Uh, you know, when all else fails, follow directions. And I followed that direction you know, from one end of the city to the other, from one end of the country to the other, day and night. And um, I, had a, I had a higher power. It was called sex. And when the phone rang at 3 a.m. and sex was calling, I followed, I obeyed. I got out of bed and drove across town and did what that God told me to do. So um, I have different meaning in my life today. Um, I'm going to, I'll make a, disclaim, a couple disclaimers. I'll um, talk a lot about the books, the recovery books. And I believe in our singleness of purpose that um, uh, we should um, have our own literature, we're a maturing fellowship, um, and uh, I'll also refer to other recovery books, and I'll refer to other um, spiritual books, but I'll try not to pepper it with too many references um, in keeping with our signals purpose. I'll probably fail miserably at that task, however. Um, so I'm talking about meaning, and so, um, you know, the books, the answers are in the books. That's why they wrote the books. Read the books, period. The answers in the books. A, a sponsor set me down at one point, and we were doing a fifth step, and he, was, um, he wanted to know where the answers are for these problems. Where's the answer for anger? And where's the answer for fear? And where's the answer for sex conduct? And I went, ooh, it's a test. You know, I was afraid. And um, open the book, open the big book, and there it is. Right in black and white, page 64 and 66. What to do about anger, page 68. What to do about fear, 69 and 70. What to do about sex behavior. Bam, bam, bam. You know, so when I sponsor, I tend to sponsor by page number. And <laughs> someone was commenting, complaining today that the ebook doesn't have accurate page numbers. And it's difficult because I go, you know, go to page 45, go to page 25, go to page 24. So, um, uh, in this case, I'll go to page 89, and page 89 says, as I say, all the steps have promises, and this is one of the most glorious sets of promises in the literature. And um, I'm going to talk tonight about the, the, the reflections that I did over the few months seem to fall in general categories of which most of you are familiar, with which most of you are familiar, and that is um, I'm going to talk about the spiritual solution. I'm going to talk about my spiritual life. I'm going to talk about sponsorship. I'm going to talk about my service life, and I'm going to talk about the steps. And we'll see how far we get on each of those. So um, why I'm here is because the book says the practical experience indicates that nothing will so much ensure immunity from acting out as intensive work with other addicts. It works when other methods fail. This is the 12th suggestion. Carry this message to other addicts. You can help and no one else can. Remember they are very ill, one of my favorite lines. And um, <laughs> these are the promises from what will happen. Life will take on new meaning. To watch people recover, to see them help others, to watch loneliness vanish, to see a fellowship grow up about you, to have a host of friends. This is an, this is an experience you must not miss. We know you will not want to miss it. Frequent contact with newcomers and with each other is the bright spot of our lives. So someone might say to me, this is the bright spot of your life? You've got a pretty dull life, buddy. But no, this is the fellowship. And I'm not, I'm, I'm of um, German extraction, ancestry, and we're known to be cold fish. 
and I'm not um, effusive and um, personable as some are. But I've met many of you and had conversations, and I've had alone time here, and um, you let me do that. And uh, the fellowship and the program are magnetic. So life takes on new meaning. So I invite you tonight to um, consider what has produced meaning in your recovery. Where did you find meaning? What means something to you? What matters to you? What made a difference to you? And um, so one thing that's always impressed me is how people change. I remember Sponsy when he gave his year one um, birthday talk. And it was like night and day. You know, it was like from the gutter to the, to brilliance. I mean, he quoted, you know, he, he talked about pornography. He said it's relationship poison and intimacy killer. I went, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, he's right on target with all that stuff. So um, how people change. Um, I had an experience in um, high school where um, uh, I grew up as a gay man, that time a gay boy, and was ostracized mercilessly. You know, bullying is not a new phenomenon in schools these days. This has been around for a while, as some of you may know. So um, I was mercilessly teased by um, the high school jocks. And the main offender was the homecoming king and the, the head of the football team. And he got religion. Fundamentalist religion was uh, going through that part of the country at the time. And he changed. And he started being nice to me. I went, I want whatever that is, I want some of that, you know, to produce such a dramatic change in person. So I went investigating for several years. I got involved in these denominations. And it was very helpful. It was a very um, interesting learning experience. But how people change is the most dramatic thing to me. And, and that someone could see your changes, that someone could see my changes. The book tells me that a profound alteration in my reaction to life is one of the characteristics of a spiritual awakening. And that my friends will often see this long before I do. And um, I don't see it very much, but every now and then I get an inkling. Um, oh, I was talking to uh, Roger and said that, uh, you know, I have a, a theory of interviewing that when I increase my interviewing skills, um, at the point I'm at a perfect skill, I'll get that job offer. You know, I have a theory of speaking to groups that when I increase my speaking skills, at the point I'm perfecting the skills, I'll be, you know, assumed into heaven. So if the heavens open up and the angels start singing, you'll know that I'm at that point. But um, <laughs> I don't, probably not tonight. But what I do hope to do, but what I do hope to do, honestly, is to carry a message of recovery is to be a channel of God's peace, to be a channel for the SA recovery message. Because the book tells me that I have one purpose. My real purpose is to be a maximum service to God and my fellows. Not minimum service. It says maximum service. Because I was out there being a maximum addict all these years. So I figure, you know, all those years I was out there, 20 or 30 years, screwing people over and being selfish. If I spend the next 20 or 30 years in service, then by the end of my life that might have balanced out. Maybe, you know, maybe, maybe not. But one thing's for sure, it will help me stay sober. And that example of service helping me stay sober keeps me sober and may help another person. So when I get to the perfection of, of giving a talk or giving a speech, I may not be assumed bodily into heaven, but what may happen is that someone may hear something helpful in the talk. And that's my prayer, that someone gains some help from my experience. Because I'm already helped. I already got all the goodies. I already got all the cash and prices out of it. So um, my, um, uh, my symbol is a little tree growing out of the cracks in the expressway, just wanting enough light and air to survive amidst all the toxic fumes. And that seems to be how I grew up. So um, I'll give you a bit of my background, which um, 
Uh, I don't like to dwell too much on this story because I get caught up in it. And I think it's so exciting and interesting <laughs> that I can't stop. And it's not. It's a pretty, cool, pretty garden variety, typical sex addiction story. And I get to keep track of my time, too. Um, uh, early in life, um, I started being sexual at five or six with a boy cousin who was a year older than I. And he knew how to do things that no five or six-year-old boy should know how to do. Where he learned that, I won't speculate, but I just mentioned that this was um, perpetuation of some type of behavior that then I got to experience that. Um, I grew up in a home where um, father had a drinking problem. Um, I know that because the drinking caused problems in the family, money problems, emotional problems. Um, I don't know if he's alcoholic, although I have my suspicions. Um, being alcoholic myself, I'm pretty aware of the um, telltale signs. Uh, so um, I also realized early on that my um, interest and attraction was toward boys and men, and I realized that in the 1950s as I grew up that was not acceptable. So I learned very quickly to keep secrets, to hide uh, my feelings, to hide the truth, and um, I accumulated a lot of shame over that behavior. Um, I stayed in that closet for years until college when um, a pretty young girl fell in love with me and decided to marry me. <laughs> I went, uh, you know, that's how, when somebody says, I love you, you're supposed to say, I love you back, right? I mean, that was the expected thing. And I said, oh, okay, I guess I didn't have any other prospects. Uh, you know, the, I mean, I, you know, as far as relationships, I was like closeted and stunted. So um, we were good friends, and we were intimate with each other, and we became physically intimate. And um, I went to the college counselor, and I said, well, you know, I'm engaged to marry this girl, but um, I'm gay. And he says, well, you must tell her. And I said, no, 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 that would ruin everything. You know, so... <laughs> <laughs> well, well, it did. It did ruin everything. We did get married in a big Catholic wedding, and then shortly thereafter, about six months thereafter, I realized I could be stuck for good. And I've met many men over the years who were in marriages, and they had children, and, that, and their, their marriage was perhaps not true to their sexual um, orientations and preferences, and yet they were um, obligated and uh, committed to their spouses and their children, and that was quite a, uh, quite a common uh, behavior, actually, and a very tough road to hoe. And um, I knew that um, I could be stuck for good in a relationship that was not true to my nature and was not expressing part of myself would die. And I wasn't willing to let that happen. And so um, I ended the marriage, and um, she was set free from the bondage of being married to a gay man and um, went on to have other hopefully healthy relationships, and I went on to <laughs> bigger fields of addiction than that. So um, all during the, um, as I mentioned, early life, I um, uh, had a really rich fantasy life. I didn't do much physical behavior with other people, um, but my fantasy life was off the charts. And um, in those days, I mean, it's not like you could get porn on every smartphone that you get your hands on. I mean, I had to, um, you know, get excitement from the underwear ads of the JCPenney catalog and um, things like that. And from, um, um, oh, pictures of a Greek statuary that I would check out of the library. And this was, you know, this was food for, oh, and the other great thing was I joined the yearbook staff so I could get pictures of the athletes. Because, you know, pictures of the athletes in their um, uniforms were very... Um, uh, stimulating. So I had this rich fantasy life, and um, that segued into um, use of drugs and alcohol. Um, that segued into active, sexually addictive behavior, um, which then segued into glorious spiritual awakening. So go figure. You know, I've, I had great teachers. Great teachers came to me disguised as alcoholism. Great teachers came to me disguised as sex addiction. I learned a lot from them. If it hadn't been for sex addiction, I might not be on the spiritual path I'm on today. 
Who knows? I think God would have found some other way to get me on a spiritual path, but this is the way he did it. This is the way it developed. So um, what happened was um, I came to consciousness um, on the bathroom floor of the bathhouse sex club in the town where I lived. And two of these I had over taken, taken a wee bit too much of alcohol and pills. And uh, this was years before I found the um, drug recovery, alcohol recovery program, and decades before I experienced any sexual addiction recovery. So um, at that time, two of the attendants of the establishment were shaking me to see, number one, if I was breathing. That was the first order of business, and I was. And so then to see if they should call an ambulance, I assured them that they did not need to as I um, stumbled to my feet and staggered into what was commonly known as the orgy room. I won't go into detail. But um, that was, um, as I say, years before recovery started. And um, I was fortunate at a, at a pretty young age, 31 years old, to find the uh, 12-step fellowship for alcohol recovery. And um, so, you know, back then, which was, and I just celebrated 30 years of sobriety this past August in that fellowship. So that's the grace of God. When I say I'm sober X number of years, I cringe a little, actually. Because it's not like I did it, you know, I, me. You all helped me do it. God helped me do it. The literature, the meetings, the phone calls, the service, all of this huge assembly that God put around me helped me stay sober for those years. Um, but what happened was, when I got sober in AA, uh, um, that other fellowship for drug and alcohol recovery, when I got sober, I, um, I looked at the steps, and you know, I had an attitude like, um, well, one of my good friends, he came into that fellowship, he said he didn't like the God word, so he decided to do every step that didn't have God in it, you know, <laughs> which is like six of them, actually, <laughs> that's six of them. So um, the point of that was, like, how's that work for you, you know? And so my favorite line, my sponsees, and they, boy, they must get tired of it, is how's that working for you? And that is right out of the book, and I'll quote the 12 and 12, uh, page 37, talks about the third step. And it talks about um, um, listening to people and their ideas of a higher power. And um, yes, we'll listen to everyone and we'll consider their ideas, but there's no one we can really trust. And besides, I'm sure that my self-will and intellect will assure my happiness and success in life. And the book goes on to say, well, this brave philosophy that sounds so good in the talking still has to meet the acid test. How well does it actually work? And one good look in the mirror ought to be answer enough for any addict or alcoholic. It ain't working so good. <laughs> you know? I didn't pull into SAA um, in a Cadillac having won the lottery and sleeping with twins. You know, that was not, um, I, I, I got here, actually what happened first was that I got sober and within uh, a short period I realized that I had a little bit of a sex behavior problem. And at the time in my city, the only um, fellowship for sexual addiction recovery was another 12-step fellowship for sex and love addiction recovery. And so I started attending that and I went there for um, five or six years off and on and I got some periods of sobriety. It was a good program and they had good literature and good sponsors and um, I did not complete the 12 steps. Specifically, um, I didn't do steps eight and nine. They didn't so, do so good on step six and seven either. And um, for that reason, I believe that I went out on a small slip which lasted 15 years. A 15-year binge of addictive sexual behavior um, while I was not drinking and drugging. So, you know, the, the sex drug was the only thing I had to get high on, and I worked that baby for all it was worth. And um, so um, in that period of um, sobriety and the other Tulsa Fellowship for Sex and Love Addiction, I did experience at the end 20 months of celibacy. Celibacy, nothing. No acting out, no masturbation. Even the fantasies went away. I experienced that the obsession can be removed. 
you know, we're examining a set of promises which are widespread in the fellowship um, to see if we want to use them in our literature. And they've been used by many groups. And one of the things that the um, document says is that our obsession will diminish. And I went, well, what are we, the poor cousins of the other fellowships? My, the sex obsession only diminishes and the other obsessions are removed completely. If you read the promises of step 10 in the big book, we recoil as if from a flame. The problem is gone. We react sanely and normally. Don't I get to do that in SAA too? Or do I just have to live with like a low level of obsession all my life? I don't think so. I experienced at that time, I'm not so much experiencing it this time. <laughs> There's reasons for that. I experienced at that time complete removal of the obsession. Despite that, I did not complete the program. So the program, as, as we saw in some of our um, meetings today, the program is the 12 steps. How do I know that? Because the book says, here are the steps we took, which are suggested as a program of recovery. This is the fellowship. You all are the fellowship. So people have a little bit of sloppy language there. Are you in the program means are you working the 12 steps? It doesn't mean are you going to meetings. So anyway, the program recovery being the 12 steps of SAA um, will lead to the guaranteed result of a spiritual awakening as the result of those steps, in the middle of which is removal of the obsession to act out sexually and enabling me as a sufferer to become happily and usefully whole, period. Now, you know, there's all sorts of signs of people going into relapse. I tell people acting out is the end of the relapse process. It's not the beginning. You began it a month ago or two months ago when you, what, stopped going to meetings and stopped calling your sponsor and stopped sponsoring people and stopped reading the literature, stopped praying. Okay, those are all symptoms. To me, there's one cause for relapse and one cause only, and it's the second line. Those who do not recover are people who will not complete this simple program. Completing the simple program to me means working the 12 steps formally with a sponsor. And it also means completing the program on a daily, minute-by-minute -minute basis. When my contact and connection with higher power is short-circuited by anger or fear or laziness or slob, I can reconnect by flipping the circuit breaker. You know, there's, there's an app for that. You know, there's an app for that. There's a prayer for that. Whatever I encounter, there's a prayer for that. I've got a uh, resentment prayer. I've got a compulsion prayer. I've got a gratitude prayer. You know, these, these things are like quick triage, band-aids. But, uh, you know, the really scary times is when I have some kind of shock or bad news or something. Well, I go into shock and I don't know what prayer to say. You know, I don't even, I've experienced periods of like, it can take me 20 or 30 minutes to remember, oh, I could say a prayer instead of having this pit in the bottom of my stomach. And then I come to and it's, it doesn't matter what prayer. You know, it doesn't matter, say third step prayer, say the 11th step prayer. It doesn't matter why I get sober. There's no bad reason to get sober. But I need a better reason to stay sober. So um, what happened was I went to sober on drugs and alcohol. I went to another fellowship, which was the only one existing for sex addiction recovery. And, you know, I really, uh, we did last year a wonderful pamphlet on um, compulsive sexual avoidance return to intimacy. And it was just made my skin kind of crawl to read that laundry list about avoiding intimacy and um, because I identified so much with it. And I realized that I'm probably what I uh, label a relationship anorexic, a relationship avoidant. I, I avoid intimacy like the plague. And when I sat for years listening to um, people in the other fellowship talking about their love addiction, it bored the bejesus out of me. And because I didn't identify with it. And I thought, why don't you just go get laid? You know, this was my solution. And obviously, meaning I obviously had, didn't have the empathy 
for that addiction. And um, I just kind of recently directed a sponsee who had both the problems. You can't have them both. I mean, you can have alcoholism and drug addiction, sex addiction, love addiction, and work addiction, and money addiction, and any addict not in three twelve-step programs is in denial, probably. You know, is what I call my tell my sponsees. So I'm in three. I got my three. Um, the drugs and alcohol, the sex addiction, the money addiction. So that I qualify for more, but my plate is full. Really, it's not. I can't. I can't do. I can't do any more than that at the moment. So um, what happened was um, I uh, didn't complete this simple program. I didn't get my eighth and ninth step done. I went out on a little, a little one little slip that lasted 15 years. 15 years in the middle of my life. 15 years that I could have been having productive relationships, advancing my career, enlarging my spiritual life. Gone. Done. Down the drain. I don't get that back. That doesn't come back to me. Did it get me into SAA? I hope. You know, one day, and then, you know, the acting out segued over the years and largely into the computer arena and um, chat rooms and hookups and all this stuff, websites. And um, on Memorial Day 2005, I um, didn't get on the computer, which was unusual because I had such a compulsion to get, on, to get the charge out of You know, only about 10% of the time did I end up having sex with people. 90% of the time was chasing it, ritualizing it, driving around the corner, chatting, you know, trying to hook up. That, and that had to be exciting to me because that was most of the time that I spent doing it. So, um, uh... Memorial Day, 2005. I happened to have a day that I wasn't on the computer. Just because I had plans with people. Just because I was out of the house all day. It was one day. Two and a half months before that, I had been to a convention in my hometown where people had come and spoken about Sex Addicts Anonymous. I didn't know it existed in my city. Um, the guy who founded it about 10 years ago now in my city um, got a sponsor from L.A. on the other side of the country. And the guy in my hometown sat in a room with a book alone for weeks and months, holding a space open for sex addicts to recover. And there were a couple of small groups started that time. And he gave me his card and he told me about the sex addicts <coughs> anonymous meetings. And two and a half later is when I hit that bottom, when I had stopped for one day and I thought, wow, wouldn't it be nice just to quit hitting myself in the head with a sledgehammer? Wouldn't it be nice just to have just another day? Just, I was really tired. I was really, really tired. Because I would get up every two hours at night and get on the computer. You know, because when I hear the computer ding, oh, there's a message. Or when I got up to go to work and I'm just going to check the email. Just check the email. That's all. Three hours later, I was still just checking the email, you know acting out compulsively on, on the computer. So I had an inner collapse. It wasn't a big bang. It wasn't a crash into a brick wall. There was some kind of inner collapse that happened for me. I just wanted a rest. I just surrendered. Four days later, I went to an SAA meeting. And the miracle started to happen. Um, I've learned a lot of stuff. I've had a lot of great experiences in uh, SAA. <clears throat> One thing the book says is, um, if when you honestly try, you can't stop, or once you stopped, you can't stay stopped, you may be suffering from an illness that only a spiritual experience will conquer. Well, you know, stopping wasn't really a problem back in that 15-year binge. I stopped a hundred times. I stopped addictive sex behavior every time I had a bad sexual experience. Did I? You know, I'd just go, this is a good last experience. This is, I'm glad this is so bad because this is, um, this is it. Any of you ever say that? You know, this is show of hands, never mind. Um, <laughs> that, you know, I had stopped repeatedly, repeatedly. I couldn't stay stopped. 
pretty much everybody sitting in an SA meeting has stopped. The problem becomes how to stay stopped. And there's a certain grace period where I might be able to struggle with the obsession and white knuckle it, but ultimately I got to get that obsession removed and then I got to get the pain that caused me to act out removed. Because my, my sex addiction is not about the sex. Not. What's it about? It's about why I did the sex. The book says our liquor was but a symptom. They said that, that we had to get down to root causes and conditions. It says, the book says that um, the elimination of our drinking was but a beginning. A much more important demonstration of our principles lies in their application, our homes, occupation, and affairs. You know, so this is all over the literature. It is not about the sex. Well, what's it about? I mean, it sure seemed to be about the sex. I was having a lot. So um, um, it's about this disturbance. One of the well-known speakers in the other fellowship, Clancy, has a tape where he says, a chief characteristic of the spiritual awakening seems to be remaining undisturbed. You know, and I was bothered all the time. You know, what's with the hair? You know, if I didn't like your shirt, I'd plot your murder, that type of thing. You know, um, I was just, recently how this occurred, I'll tell you, is that, um, you know, I don't plan my recovery. I don't plan to work on anger this month and fear next month. I just try and keep my head above water, really, and show up for work that day, show up for sponsors when they call me and not avoid their phone calls. And, um, <clears throat> The recently how this occurred to me was um, people seem to get in my way a lot. Like diabolically, a conspiracy everywhere. I mean, in the grocery store, in traffic. They're just, what, what is the problem? Why don't you get out of my way? It seemed to really be, it ganged up on me. And this had gone on for a long, long time. And a month or two ago, it it occurred to me that I don't have to live this way. It occurred to me that usually the suggestion on a defect is to moderate or do the opposite of the defect in order to moderate it. So I thought, I didn't exactly think, well, I'm going to let them get in front of me, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let go of that need to make sure I push to the front and get there first. You know, it's, it's a weird, this is a profound alteration in my reaction to life. It doesn't seem like a big thing, but it was constant. So, um, um, those are some of the changes. Oh, where am I at time? Oh, the solution. I got good news and bad news. The good news, the really, really good news, so there is a solution to this chronic, fatal illness called sex addiction. The bad news is I have to get off my chair and do a little work to get it. You know, that's as bad as it gets. I don't have to go climb the mountain for 12 years to the foot of the guru and all this stuff. I have a few simple steps and keep doing them. So, you know, how to stay stopped. How to stay stopped. That's the, the forward of the 12 and 12 says the 12 steps are a set of principles, spiritual in their nature, which if practiced as a way of life can expel the obsession and enable me, the sufferer, to become happily and usefully whole. How to stay stopped is to get the obsession expelled. Why would, why, you know, somebody said a drink of alcohol in front of me, it's like rat poison. I say, well, why would I drink rat poison? You know, somebody walks in front of me, some sexually addictive, attractive, objective, why would I, why would I risk it? So that's how to stay stopped you know, the good news and the bad news, but there's more good news. Apparently, apparently, there's no upper limit to how happy and useful I can be. There's not an upper limit to that. It can keep going on and on. So, um, this, the message has the power. That's why I like to focus on the message instead of my drunkalog, my sex addiction history. The message is inherently attractive. The message, the book says you can't transmit what you haven't got. <clears throat> and, um, you know, if I can't transmit the message in two minutes, I probably haven't got it. 
because the message is easy to transmit. We have had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, period. We try to carry this message, that message, and to practice these principles in our lives. So our Green Book says our message is simple and profound, that recovery from addictive sexual behavior is possible through SA's 12 steps, and that working this program results in a spiritual awakening. Um, the book says, the step says, I try to carry the message. You know, I, I stay sober just trying to carry the message. But it would be nice if other people got help too. You know? So the more clarity that I bring to carrying the message, the more likely it is to help someone else. Take a deep breath. It's hot in here. Help me get through this one. I'll get through. I'll get through. <clears throat> I heard a while ago that um, we're, spi we're spiritual beings having a human experience. I'm not a human being having a spiritual experience. I, somewhere I came from before probably, maybe I'll go somewhere after this, but if I'm made in the image of a creator, that's a spiritual image. I'm a spiritual being, I'm having a human experience. And um, there's a line in the last line in the book, of a vision for you says, um, we will be with you in the fellowship of the spirit and you'll surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. And a few weeks ago I was uh, speaking at a beginner's meeting and I had thought that this fellowship of the spirit was an exclusive little inner sanctum of a club for those people that had the spiritual experience, the spiritual awakening, and not for other people. And here I was talking to these newcomers who were, you know, a few months sober, a few weeks sober, a few months sober, a year sober, something like this. I felt snobbish. I felt embarrassed. I felt, what, they don't, they don't get to be spiritual, you know? I was on my way to meet a sponsor one time. I was running late. I thought, when I get to the meeting, I can be spiritual. I went, well, wait. I can't be spiritual now? In the middle of traffic, I can't do something spiritual. I can't do a prayer. Be spiritual now. Okay, so these kids who were, you know, um, as old as I was sober, probably at the time, and they are on their spiritual path. You know, drinking is a spiritual path, as it turns out. Like the joke is, you know, the drunk goes up to the guy in the street corner and says, how do I get to A? And the guy says, just keep drinking. <laughs> That's it. Same apply for sex, you know. If you do, you'll eat, every, every alcoholic starts drinking, it just be nice to be alive when you do. But um, drinking worked. Sex addiction worked. It numbed the pain. I had friends in college who committed suicide because they were not good enough alcoholics. They couldn't numb the pain sufficiently to get through the day with their pain. I had some predisposition from my family background, so I was pretty good at it. And um, I was able to numb the pain and um, not, not kill myself quickly. You know, alcoholism and sex addiction is slow suicide. Slow suicide. I have the courage to pull the trigger. If you think it's not deadly, we have two people in our group who were murdered. My home SAA group, two people were murdered. They picked up the wrong sex partner. They didn't know them. They're not here anymore. They don't, have to work, they don't have to worry about working the 12 steps. They're gone. So this is just as true for us as it is for the other fellowships, jails, institutions, and death. Um, so when I was looking at these newcomers at the beginner's meeting, I thought that, you know, they're on their path. They're in the fellowship of the spirit. Being spiritual beings, they automatically qualify as the fellowship of the spirit, that they're not as in the same place that I am. Hey, they might be a better place. Um, this is, this is um, demonstrated by the literature. Um, in, in 1961, Bill W. wrote a uh, very moving letter to Dr. Carl Jung. It's quoted widely, and he thanked Dr. Jung for his instrumental actions in the founding of that fellowship. And this was months before Dr. Jung's death. Dr. Jung wrote a letter back, and he said, <clears throat> alcoholism, addiction, sex addiction, is 
on a low level, a spiritual thirst for wholeness, wholeness, expressed in medieval terms, a union with God. Well, I used to go to the other um, fellowship for sex and love addiction. We would go to fellowship, a coffee afterwards, and it seemed to fill that need that I sought to fill with addictive sexual behavior. Underneath that, that frantic, compulsive, running around to get sex behavior was a neediness. And you know, that was okay. Every human being is okay to want to love and be loved, to want to care and be cared for. I don't have to be ashamed of that. It's just the ways I was going about it were quite ineffective. Um, I like the... Uh, what happens when I, when I complete the circuit, when I complete the circuit daily, when I, I keep building a muscle, if I surrender daily to the obsessions and the fantasies, I build that muscle. If I keep building the muscle of the, um, completing, the, uh, completing the program on a minute-by-minute -minute basis, I build that muscle. It becomes easier to do that the next time. Um, the books say, uh, if I do not enlarge my spiritual life, through work and self-sacrifice for others, I cannot meet the certain trials and hard spots ahead. Um, the book suggests uh, God is everything or nothing. <clears throat> you know, when they told me I could pick my own higher power, I said, I want the big one. I'm an egotist, you know. I want the one, I want the big one, I want the one bigger than which there is no other. And you can't be any bigger than being everywhere all the time and everything. So God is here. God is here now. And that's what the story said. The preacher said, you know, we have to get God into our lives. The spiritual master said, God is already here. Our job is to recognize him. So God is here in the person sitting across from you. God is here in this room. For me, I asked, there were, I went to a meeting for a while with a couple of avowed atheists. And one of them said something interesting. He said, every thought is a prayer. That was interesting coming from an atheist. But I asked him, um, <clears throat> I asked the woman, you know, what do you do in the middle of the night when the fear grips you and it makes my stomach feel like radioactive. There's like a burning in my stomach. I'm so afraid. And I don't remember the answer. I don't remember that there was much of an answer to that. And I'm not putting that belief system down. But I looked up the atheist 12 steps on the internet. And what it seemed to indicate was that their greater power was the collective group experience was a power greater than the individual. And that says the same thing in the AA 12 and 12. That the group of people who have accumulated years and decades of experience is a power much greater than myself. So um, I'm going to talk a, a minute about um, what, I, what the evolution of a problem. I think I experience that this is a spiritual template. And it goes something like this. Um, when I stopped acting out, it was the end of my world, my whole beautiful world of sex addiction that I had built up. I knew everywhere to go for sex, everywhere to buy it, everywhere to get it. And all I was Mr. Sex Addict. And to stop acting out, that was the end of the world as I knew it. My world came to a crashing halt. That was disaster. What do I do now? What do I do with the weekend? <laughs> you know, what do I do with Saturday night? What do I do when I'm unhappy? What do I do when I'm bored, angry? You know, as an addict, I didn't know how to identify my feelings. You know, if I was um, hungry, I called it horny. And if I was tired, I called it horny. And if I was t angry, I called it horny. There's a pattern there, you know. <laughs> that, that, that the solution, the, the universal solution to whatever problem down the pike was to act out sexually. So, um, you know, the template goes like this. The end of the world. Then it's a disaster. How am I going to get through a day without acting out? Then it becomes a big, big problem. Then it becomes a challenge. And that's when I begin to have a shift spiritually. Then it becomes a challenge. It becomes a lesson. It becomes an opportunity for me to reach out for help. Um, it becomes an opportunity for growth. It becomes an occasion for gratitude. 
So that's the progression of problems in my life. From disaster to problem to challenge, occasion for growth, occasion for gratitude. Everything's a lesson, says the book. So what comes on the pike is this, why, why am I only making enough money to pay my bills? Well, there's some lesson there. Check it out. Um, uh, the God stuff. You know, a God small enough to fit in a church is probably not big enough to do me any good. God small enough to fit in one denomination of religion is probably not big enough to do me any good. I like the idea of the blind man and the elephant. You know, each blind man grabbed a different part and described it as a tree trunk or a rope or a snake or a wall. Who was wrong? None of them. Who was right? They all had part of the truth. And that's what I think about religions and people's conceptions of a higher power. I've got part of the truth. And you know what? I don't really so much want to understand God. I want to experience God. I want the experience inside of the empowerment to have a better life. So, um, my path is giving. And to do that, I need to be connected to higher power. Um, you know, it occurred to me, because people argue about this and they have trouble with it in the fellowship. And, and so, so let's take the example, what if there were no higher power? What if I get to the end of my life and the hereafter and whatever's after, and it turns out to be a big lie, it's a big myth. There's nothing there. Oh, well, that means I lived this whole part of my life getting empowered by praying to this non-entity, drawing strength, having courage to meet my challenges, living a good life, doing service for people, making the world better as I, much as I can. Boy, if there's no God, I could have been screwing people over all that time. You know, what a waste. You know. So in other words, the point is, it doesn't matter if there's a God or not. It matters how I act about it today. If I find a source of strength in the group, in my sponsor, in the literature, if that works for me, again, it's back to how's it work for you. Any human endeavor can meet that, can be subjected to that criteria. How well does that actually work? You want to go to therapy instead of, I'm not against therapy, I may be a therapist someday. Who knows? I know what God has in mind for me. If you want to go to therapy instead of the 12 step, you don't like the God stuff, go make a contract with your therapist and just work the three circles with it. But don't have any empowerment. <laughs> you know, don't, don't get a source of power that would enable me to stay away from the sex addiction and get transformed internally. How does that work for you? Well, if that works, great. But you're not an addict like I am then. You're not an addict like me. You're not an addict. I'm here. This is not for people who stopped acting out. It's for people who can't stop acting out. I couldn't stop acting out. I was powerless. So, um, how do you trust God? Um, you decide to. It's a decision. It's like I, I accumulate the available evidence. How can I know something? One of the withdrawal chapters says, how can you know you'll get through withdrawal? Well, the first answer is, you can't. You don't know. And the second answer is, based on our experience, the experience of other people in the group, that they got through withdrawal, you can probably do it too. Another way to know something, so that's personal, that's observation. Personal experience of what happens to me. Communication from other, from other people through the books. That's why they write the books, to communicate their experience to us and the answers to us. Um, the speaker tapes have been invaluable to me because I, I didn't, can't read driving down the street, but I can listen to the tapes all the time. Um, I decide to trust God based on the available evidence. Apparently, there's a big group of people here who say that God did something in their life, affected positive changes. Do I want that? You know, if Donald Trump walks by and I think, oh, he's got a lot of money, maybe I can get some of it. Probably, if I do the same things that he did, I'll get some of the same stuff. 
If I want a Mercedes or a house on the bay, all I have to do is do whatever other people did to get that, and I have it. So if I'm in a spiritual experience, if I'm to be relieved from the obsession, all I have to do is do what other people did to get that, and I'll get it. What, are they lying to me in the book or something? You know. Follow, when all else fails, follow directions. The steps are technology. You know, I'm, I'm, we're all very modern. You know, I like my gadgets. But when I get a phone or remote control, I just start pushing buttons. I don't read the manual. It's this thick. <laughs> you know, the steps, the steps I kind of did the same way. I just said, oh, I'll do this one and this one, kind of smorgasbord. And then, well, you get a little bit of relief, you know. But I don't get the promises in the book unless I do what, it's like baking a cake and throwing all the ingredients in one bowl and just whip it up and I'll throw it in the oven, see what comes out. It's not like the picture, you know. It's, if I do it in order, follow the directions, I'm very likely to get the results, also called the promises. They're promises until I do the work. And once they materialize, they're results. I've got the results, the result of a spiritual awakening. Before I get to step 12, I will have had that spiritual awakening. So um, I think the steps are like, really, step one is the um, problem, step two is the solution. It's a one-two punch, and the rest of the steps keep me in the solution. There's one speaker that says, um, there's one problem and one solution. The one problem is our conscious separation from God. And the one solution is our conscious contact with God. And the, the steps are a bridge across that gap. And my conscious separation from God was very effectively uh, implemented by my addictive behaviors. Whatever gets between me and God becomes my God. It's like an eclipse. So, um, everyone's entitled to be stupid. Some people simply abuse the privilege. <laughs> I'll talk about um, sponsorship for how many minutes do I have? I have about 10 minutes? Okay. I won't keep you as hot. Um, I'll talk about sponsorship. As I read at the beginning, practical experience indicates that immunity from acting out um, can be gained by intensive work with other addicts. Nothing works so well as it is the gold mine of sobriety for me. <clears throat> I get to stay in the middle of the solution. Inevitably, when a sponsee calls me with a problem, I pretty much either have it now or I have had it. I get to look for the solution. Um, as a sponsee, what I tell, uh, what I tell new sponsees is, is just this. Number one, the reason I'm sponsoring you is because it helps me stay sober. So that's your job, to help me stay sober. And my job is to help you get through the 12 steps quickly so you can get sponsees to help you stay sober. That's how it works. So um, the idea is to get through quick. I'm a signpost. I just point the way. I can't carry the body up the mountain. Um, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. You know, I had a guy who for a long time, I had about, I had about 12 sponsees at the time, but for a long time he called me every night and talked for an hour. He said, do you talk an hour, all your sponsees talk an hour a day? I said, no. It's the ones who want it. You're calling. You need to talk that long. It's not BS because I don't, I don't listen to problems that much. So the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Um, I like to operate with sponsees. Uh, you know, they present a problem. We look in the book for the solution and the answer. The next time they call, the question is, did you try that solution? No. Well, that's the best of my experience, strength, and hope. I don't want to hear about the problem anymore. You want to complain about that problem, go pay a therapist $125 an hour, because I'm not it. If you want the solution, we'll look in the book. If that solution didn't work for you, we'll look in the book again. Maybe we'll find a different answer. So, like I say, it's sponsored by page number, the answer's in the book. Let the book do the talking. I had a sponsee that told me recently, you know, one of his sponsees told him, I don't like your tone when you're talking to me like that. You know, I said, I don't like your tone when you tell me I'm going to die of sex addiction. 
no. I don't like your tone when you tell me middle circle behavior is going to lead to acting out. <laughs> I said, okay. Well, here's what to do about that. Let, let the book do the talking. Just quote the book. Quote the book. Try some controlled drinking. Try it more than once. It's worth a bad hangover to gain a full knowledge of your condition. Page 31. You know, just give them the page number. So, um, you know, it's... The mind is the problem. The book says the problem rests mainly in the mind. So my liquor is but a symptom. We, um, in our group, we have a saying, <clears throat> the, first, the first thought is usually I default to addictive thinking. The first thought is get him, you know, jump him. The second thought, <clears throat> you could call it choice, but I call it surrender. The second thought is the surrender to addictive behavior, surrender to recovery behavior. Surrender to addictive behavior is chase the guy down the street. And if I keep doing that, that builds the addictive muscle. Surrender to recovery behavior is, God, please bless him and give him every good thing. See, there's a prayer for that. Bless him and give him every good thing. That's a resentment prayer. Resentment is when I feel something again and again and again. When I see a sex object and objectify, I feel that again and again. So I say the resentment prayer. Bless him and give him every good thing. Instead of grasping and taking that in and wanting to devour it, that's a letting go. The last thing the guy needs is me jumping his bones. Okay? So, God, please give him every good thing, which is not me jumping him. So um, that builds the recovery muscle. Um, I'll speak of service for a minute. And um, service like going to the gym. I really don't usually feel like doing it. I never feel like doing it. And once I get through it, I go, you yeah, know, that wasn't so bad. I feel better. I'm glad I did that. I'm going to go again tomorrow. And, and because I have a bit more integrity than I used to, if I say something, if I say I'm going to do something, generally I will do it. So when I commit to service, um, that's what happens. <clears throat> I'm going to read... Um, a quote from Rumi, quoted by Kurtz in his book, and I think it describes us very well. It says, past the seeker as he prayed came the crippled and the beggar and the beaten. And seeing them, the Holy One went down into deep prayer and cried, great God, how is it that a loving creator can see such things and yet do nothing about them? And out of the long silence, God said, I did do something about them, I made you. I made you. That is God's solution to the beaten and the crippled. <clears throat> St. Francis' prayer, the Step 11 prayer, talks about channeling God's power onto the earth. To me, this is how heaven gets on earth. Together, we can change the world. The more channels that God has on earth, to channel his power into good works and helping people, the more heaven there is on earth. And until that happens, the more I'm in that flow of power, the more I get to enjoy it. Why would I, such as, says on page 133, the, the, the um, paragraph that says, happy, joyous, and free. At the end of the paragraph, it says, if trouble comes, if, ha, huh, if trouble comes, we cheerfully capitalize it to demonstrate God's omnipotence. Why would I want to demonstrate God's omnipotence? Because I get to be in the flow of power that runs through my life. Um, I feel called to service. If I feel called, if I'm the call E, there's a call er. The caller is the higher power. I can get in touch with that higher power for strength to do um, the service which is needed. Uh, talked about an occasion for gratitude, and gratitude does for me what drugs used to do, but without the bad effects. Gratitude makes life rosy. I, um, you know, I can't even be grateful enough for my blessings without God's help. I need God's help to see the glass as half full because I will addictively look at it as half empty no matter what. So I need God's help to do that. Um, this is um, expressed in the last uh, sentence in the 12 and 12. It talks about um, humility and anonymity. And it says, 
we strive for these things to the end that our great blessings may never spoil us, that we shall forever live in thankful contemplation of he who presides over us all. Contemplation, I was taught, was that I couldn't even be grateful enough for my blessings. God had to help me be grateful for that. And when I ask him, he does. Um, at the end of the book, it says, God will show you how to create the fellowship you crave. Weird that they use the same word craving, which they do in the doctor's opinion, craving for alcohol. Um, <clears throat> Jung said in his letter to, in his reply to Bill W., that um, the unrecognized spiritual need in a person will lead the person to destruction if it is not countered by real religious insight or the protective wall of human community. In our fellowship, we have both. We have the protective wall of the fellowship, and we have real spiritual connection through the program of the 12 Steps of SAA. Um, in closing, I'd like to relate a story, which many of you may have heard, but it seems to, um, seems to demonstrate the job that we're doing here. And it's about a young boy who went on vacation with his family to the seashore. And one day, the boy wandered off down the beach. <clears throat> and the father couldn't find him for hours and hours. And the father's going frantic, running up and down the beach looking for the young boy. And finally located miles down the beach uh, amidst this long strip of sea fish, starfish, that had been thrown up upon the beach by the waves. And the boy was picking up the starfish one by one and throwing them back in the water. And the father walked up and said, what are you doing? And the young boy said, if I don't throw these fish back in the water, they will die. And the father said, looked up one side of the beach and down the other and said, there's thousands and thousands of starfish here. How can you possibly make a difference? The boy picked up a starfish, threw it back in the water and said, I sure made a difference for that one. I sure made a difference for that one. One phone call at a time, one meeting at a time, one sponsoring meeting at a time, one article at a time, one committee meeting at a time. We can make a difference. God saved me from the bathroom floor of the bathhouse gave me courage and serenity to meet my problems. How great is that? Thank you, God, and thanks for letting me share.